Welcome to The Mastering Show. This is the show where we talk about all aspects of mastering. We go over compression, or we have gone over compression, limiting, EQ, all the basics, and more advanced topics. But let me first introduce my co-host, the man who brings the knowledge to the show, the master of mastering himself, Ian Shepard. Hi, Steve. How's it going? Very well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing great. Good. So we do have a bunch of advanced topics coming for everybody, but this week um, I want to talk about something called Dynamic Range Day, which is something that maybe quite a few people already listening will know about. And the reason I want to talk about it is it's next week, Friday, May 20th. And I know what you want to ask, Steve. What is it? (laughs) Well, that's what I was going to ask. What is it? (laughs) There you go. What is Dynamic Range Day? Dynamic Range Day is a day with a really bad name. Um, And I'm going to tell you why I say that in a bit. Um, But first of all, I'll tell you. So the idea of the event is to raise awareness of the loudness wars. Uh, I think probably everybody listening to this knows what the loudness wars is, just this kind of trend over the years for mixes and masters to get hotter and hotter, for the levels to be pushed higher and higher, closer to peak level. um, and I think, and many other people think, that there's been a, a negative effect of that trend in terms of the sound quality. You you know, you know, lose punch, you lose impact, you lose life space, um, and eventually you can get clipping and distortion uh, if it goes far enough. Right. I mean, the funny thing is I always say it's to raise, the days to raise awareness of the issue, but I, I genuinely think most people know about it by now, and most people kind of fall on one side or the other, which is they either they kind of know about it and they agree with me and they would like their music to be more dynamic or they kind of think, just get over it. It's a bunch of old people complaining about, you know, the sound of music today that they don't like anymore. You know, stuff needs to be loud. Shut up and let me get on with it. Which Uh, camp do you fall into? I, I I think it's a good cause. I really do, because uh, I don't like a wall of music in me, my face. I don't like a wall of music hitting my ears and assaulting my senses. So I think any efforts to quell that is good. And I think it's a good cause. Now, I mean, I don't think we should get, we should get like hysterical or like crazy about it. Personally, I'm getting a little tired of the wall of sound. And, you know, efforts to just kind of people, make people step back, take a listen, and realize that you know, dynamics in your music is actually a good thing. I think it's a good cause. That's great. I'm very, very glad to hear that. Um, So I still say that the day is to raise awareness, but it's kind of becoming more and more. I mean, in a way, it's now I'm almost doing the day just because people want me to. So I first did it in 2010, I think. So, yeah, I almost do it these days more because people want me to do it than because I I genuinely think we need to make people aware of the issue. Because, I mean, I started this, I did the first one in 2011. We're in our fifth or sixth year with it now. Um, And, yeah, since I started talking about it originally, you know, um, it's I've been interviewed for the the Times newspaper in London. I've been interviewed on BBC Radio 4, darling, um, about this issue. Um, it's been, you know, it's been reported in the, on the tech blogs, uh, you know, last year I did a blog post about how loudness normalization, loudness management was being used on YouTube. And I got 
uh, half a million hits in like two days on my website mm. about it. Right. So it has hit the mainstream to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, people still want me to to talk about the issue. It's something that I'm known for, and it's it's still an issue that I really care about. So you know, I'm I'm happy to to keep going with it. I think you should. Um, um, I, I wouldn't assume that everybody knows about it. There's there's always new people coming into the field and. You're probably right. So, and, and with that in mind, maybe I should talk a little bit. Okay. I'll, so I said at the beginning that it was a day, it was an event with a really bad name. Yeah. And I, I should probably explain what I mean by yes. that. The reason I say that is that actually what we're talking about is not dynamic range. Um, it's loudness? Now, uh, no. Well, it's okay. So it's, I'll get into what it actually is in a minute. Yeah. Um, what it really is, is dynamics, which is a very vague term specifically. So first of all, I'll tell you why it's not about dynamic range. Um, and then we'll kind of move on from there. So the the name Dynamic Range Day came to me in a dream or something. <laughs> no, it kind of occurred to me back in whenever it was uh, as an event to, to kind of raise awareness of this, that, that it would that we'd be fun and that people would want to get on board with and get involved with. Um, with the goal and, of what? With the, what did you want to well, achieve with, the, with it? Well, funnily enough, I mean, the original idea of Dynamic Range Day, the original original was just that you would type in all caps all day. <laughs> okay, so Twitter, Facebook, blog posts, all the rest of it, you would type everything in all caps, which you, people probably know is is called shouting on the internet, right? Because it sounds as though you're talking like this all the time when you read it. Right. Um, so it's all loud all the time. Uh, there's no light and shade, exactly like music that has been pushed too far in the loudness war. Right. Uh, you know, it's... All, all the lights are on all the way through. There's no respite. There's no subtlety to it. Now, that's a really fun idea. People loved it. People got on board with it. The problem was it pissed everybody else off. <laughs> you know, it's actually really annoying to have somebody shouting at And even when they explain, it's still annoying. <laughs> so in that sense, the original idea of it backfired slightly. And since then, we've tried to kind of have a more positive message and uh yeah do things that don't annoy people right. um but it was it was literally to, you know i mean ironically it was to make some noise about the issue you know back then i mean we'd had the whole metallica death magnetic kind of thing uh with that getting into the papers and the the the, the poll where people voted that they wanted it remixed and remastered and stuff so the issue was kind of out there but it didn't have the the widespread uh acceptance that it currently has so I think, you know, over the years, we have been part of achieving that goal. It's not just me who's been doing it, but the issue really has kind of spread. Um, so the reason I chose Dynamic Range Day as the name for the event was, well, that it it has two Ds in it, and alliteration is always good when you're choosing a, a blog <laughs> post title or a, um, a name for an event. But also it was inspired by the TT Dynamic Range Meter. Uh, which I think I've mentioned briefly before. It was uh, developed by um, the guys who do Brainworks plugins um, and Friedemann Tischmeier, who is, uh, I think, a German mastering engineer. They got together and they set up a site called dynamicrange.de and the, the meter was really clever. As soon as I saw it, I was like, this is genius. This is really going to help people with this issue because what it shows you is... It shows you the the RMS level that we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, 
the kind of the average level that's kind of a good indicator of loudness or a reasonable indicator of loudness and the peak level that we're all used to seeing from our DAWs. But it also shows you the difference between those two things. And that difference is something that's probably most accurately called the crest factor. Okay. Um, and it's useful because as you push the loudness up, the RMS level goes up. In a digital format, it can't go any higher than zero. Um, the peak level can't go any higher than zero. So after a certain point, you start squashing the space in between the peak and the loudness level. So basically, the lower the crest factor, the less difference there is between the peak and the loudness, the louder the music is, okay. um, particularly at the loudest moments. And the great thing about it is that if you then turn something down later, that crest factor number doesn't get any bigger because the crushing has already been done. Okay, so it doesn't actually matter how loud the music is. If you accidentally clipped everything and then pulled the master fader down, you would still see this meter showing the low crest factor value, um, and therefore you would know that it was uh, very squashed. There was a reduced range between the peak and the RMS level. Now, the thing that they did that was very clever, but that was technically incorrect, was to say that the crest factor is the dynamic range. And that's the bit that's not correct. Uh. Okay, the dynamic range actually dynamic range is not very well defined, and there are people who've written literally people who've written scientific papers about this issue. Most people would take the dynamic range to be the difference between the loudest and softest bits of the music. So it is true that as you push the loudness up and everything gets squashed up against the the, the kind of brick wall limit of zero dB peak, the louder bits get louder, the quieter bits get pushed up closer to that and the crest factor reduces. So the two are connected, right? But the crest factor is not the dynamic range. Um, and they even went so far as to give this value a number. They would call it the DR rating that probably loads of people have heard about. There's an online database where you can go and look up the DR value of almost any, any piece of music right, out there right. these days. And they had an offline app that would measure the DR values of pieces of music. And it's a pretty good kind of rule of thumb if something has a dr that's less than eight chances are it's going to be suffering to some extent from the loudness war if it's less than dr6 it's pretty much guaranteed to because when you think about what that means it means that the rms level is only six dbs below zero db peak and i mean you know if you think about digital audio we've got even in a 16-bit signal you've got 96 dbs more than 96 dbs uh between the, the noise floor of the the system and the peak level of the system, right? Yeah. So you've got 96 dBs, and if the music is only using the tox top 6 dBs of that, you, you can see that it's got somewhat limited dynamics. Right. So I love this meter. I helped promote it. I'm actually very proud of the fact that I helped promote it. Um, you know, it's still one of the, the, the page, the blog post I did about it is still one of the top pages on my site. Um, and I do think it made people aware of the issue and it spread the word. However, since then, I've been given a hard time by a bunch of people because I'm calling it Dynamic Range Day. We're, there's this dynamic range meter that I'm helping publicize, and it's not really dynamic range. So these days, I talk about something much more vague, which is dynamics. So um, if you could go back, you would call it Dynamics Day? I don't know. That's a tough question. I don't, I don't, it's not as catchy, is it? No. 
<laughs> nowhere near. And I mean, you know, dynamic range day, roughly speaking, that is still what we're talking about. You do reduce the dynamic range if you compete in the loudness war and squash everything up close to zero. But what's... So no, I probably wouldn't. I don't know what I would do if I was doing it these days. Maybe I wouldn't even start start the event. I don't know. <laughs> Dynamic range day it is. I'm stuck with it. Um, people know it. You know, people talk about it. So there it is. That, that's got to be a good thing. You know, it's what's the thing? You know, any publicity is better than no publicity. Yeah. Um, but I'm pretty careful these days to talk about dynamics, which is a deliberately more vague term that I've talked about. But I still mean the same stuff. Right, the bit that sounds really bad to me, the bit that I think that the music really suffers from when you push the loudness up against the peak level, is the fact that there's not enough space between the loudness, the RMS, whatever you want to call it, and the peak level. Right. So you know the meter is still useful. The fact that it has a slightly inaccurate, technically speaking, name, who cares? Um, so much so that I mean the the TT meter now is pretty long in the tooth. Um, it's only a 32-bit plug-in, so it doesn't run in a lot of the most recent uh, releases of the DAWs that we use. Um, if it does run, it can be a bit flaky. Hmm. Um, I've actually released my own plugin since then called Dynameter, which is an update on the same idea. It uses a similar value, but it's called PSR instead of DR, which stands for Peak to Short-Term Loudness Ratio which sounds scary, but it's exactly the same thing. It's the difference between, I mean, you remember we talked about loudness units in a previous episode. The loudness units are kind of a more sophisticated version of RMS. Dynameter measures the difference between the peak level and the loudness of the music um, and gives you this thing called PSR, um, which is effectively just a more sophisticated version of Crest Factor. Okay. Um, and we've tuned it so that the results it gives are pretty similar. If you... The way to use it, you use it, you it gives you a, a graph, color-coded, so you can watch how the the PSR value changes over time. And the the idea of it is that you keep the PSR above eight. Just like if you used to go below DR8 on the TT meter, in my opinion, you were you were asking for trouble. Same thing applies to dynameter. If you consistently push the, the PSR value below eight in pretty much any genre, I think you know, the chances are the music is going to start to suffer regardless of the processing you use, regardless of how clever you are. Um, Did you create Dynameter so, because TT meter is getting long in the tooth? And Yeah, people were asking me for it. You know, I would, I would recommend it on the home mastering course. I would recommend it on blog posts on the site. Um, and people would... Uh, they'd have problems installing it. You know, it's a, it's a more modern plugin. It's 64-bit, all the rest of it. It has the this history graph that the TT meter doesn't have. Um, it also gives you some extra information that isn't in the TT meter. But the, uh, it also, the probably the most important thing is it gives you a more useful, reliable indication of how what you're doing to your music will make it sound. I see. So Dynameter gives you a better impression of the dynamics of your music than the TT meter did. And it solves the problem of me recommending a meter that's called a dynamic range meter that doesn't really measure dynamic range. But now people are giving me a hard time over the use of the word dynamics. Who are you these know, people? <laughs> they need to step forward. 
I'm not going to name names. <laughs> the thing is, they're right, okay? okay? Because actually, and this is the this is something new that I'm going to be talking about on the Dynamic Range Day broadcast. Um, if anybody wants to check out that, I'll be doing a live webcast. Um, it'll be in the evening, 10.30pm uh, UK time. Um, anybody who wants to is welcome to, to join in that. It's going to be free Dynamic prizes. Day. Maybe. I'm, it's, I'm not going to give anything away. Um, we've had a competition in previous years. There might be a competition this year. Oh, sweet. That, that there might still be time for people to enter if they want to head over to dynamicrangeday.com. Um, we give away an award to the best sounding dynamic album of the last 12 months. Um, yeah, it, it's good. It's a lot of fun. And all through the day, I'll be posting memes and kind of updates and blog posts and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if people want to, if people have something to say on this topic, I'm going to be retweeting stuff. If they want some free publicity, it's a great way to get involved. Very cool. Um, and one of the things I'm going to be talking about, and I'm giving you guys a sneak preview now, if you're listening to this podcast before Dynamic Range Day, and if not, I'm recapping it for you, is this whole thing about dynamics. The, the truth is there are at least two kinds of dynamics. And the way that it's good to talk about them is to, is to think of them as macro dynamics and micro dynamics. Um, and the way to figure out what those words mean is to think about microscopes, which is a microscope is something that looks at things that are really small, and macroscopes, which people don't talk about because we don't need them, but they're to look at things that are bigger. Okay, but if, you know, uh, no, I can't think of a clever way of explaining macro. <laughs> macro means. <laughs> Macro means big, micro means small. <laughs> there we go. So it, there we go. In terms of dynamics, the microdynamics are what I've been talking about. That's the crest factor. That's the difference between the peak and the loudness. It's the really detailed, nitty-gritty stuff that happens. And that's the bit that usually gets damaged in, in loudness war casualties. And that's the bit that has reduced over the years. Got it. Music gets louder, gets pushed up harder and harder against zero. Macrodynamics are things like the difference between the verse and the chorus, or you know the little piano intro and the full-on ending with the symphony orchestra and the tubular bells and the, the gongs. Um, and macrodynamics haven't changed much. Hmm. Um, there's some interesting research that shows you know even though the loudness has got pushed up, people still want the same musical contrasts between the loud and the quiet sections. And that's where I get taken to task because I say generally, oh, dynamics have got worse and reduced. And people say, no, they haven't. You know, there's still as much difference between, um, you know, the, the drop and the rest of this tune or between the the verse and the chorus of this thing or, you know, the the, the quiet section and the, the metal section of this track. And they're right. In that sense, dynamics haven't changed much. They are the problem, right. It, because I thought if you really push a song... You're raising the lows and squashing the highs, so it would be less well, dynamic. Well, it's a question of scale. It's because of this difference between macro and micro dynamics. And, and actually, it's to do with the processing, right? Uh, processing like compressors and limiters work on very short timescales. You know, the longest attack time in a compressor might be 150, 200 milliseconds. The longest release time might be maybe a second or two. And limiters work at even shorter timescales. So those are all working on micro dynamics. Yeah, the kind of the beat by beat, um, note by note dynamics. And those get damaged when the level is pushed up 
to the maximum and they they get squashed. But macro dynamics, verse versus chorus and the, the build versus the drop and all that kind of stuff, they work over much longer timescales. They could work over, you know, tens of seconds or minutes maybe. So the compression and the limiting don't really have the same influence on them. I mean, let's say there's a 3 dB difference between the verse and the chorus, say. That's a large scale, that's a macrodynamic scale difference in the levels. But at both of those levels, during the verse and during the chorus, there's all kinds of microdynamic changes happening, right? There are still drum beats and instruments, you know, guitars being strummed and uh, percussion being played. And the spikes, the microdynamics in those parts of the signal could peak above and below the overall level by another three or four dBs. So let's say it's four dBs, and just imagine that during the verse, your compressor is just tickling the top of those microdynamic changes in the music. So it's just causing a dB or so of gain reduction, but it's got no influence at all in terms of the macrodynamic level, because the overall level of the music is 4 dBs below that, so the compressor isn't touching that aspect of the signal. Then when you hit the chorus, the overall level goes up by 3 dBs, and suddenly you're going to get more gain reduction happening in the compressor, because the signal is closer to the threshold, so it comes into play more, so you get more gain reduction. And you might get more like three or four dBs of gain reduction. But those three or four dBs are still working on the microdynamics of the signal, the strumming of the instruments, the, the percussion and all the rest of it, not the overall level. So you get more microdynamic compression happening at that higher level. But you would have to step the level up by another three dBs beyond that before that compression would start to hold back the overall, the macrodynamic level of the music. Now that can happen sometimes in mastering if you have something, you know, if there was, say, a 6 dB difference between the verse and the chorus. But at that point, I would then want to make a macrodynamic change to stop the compressor working too hard. If, you, if it stepped up that much, there would be much too much compression happening during the chorus. It wouldn't sound good. So I would probably automate a level change going into the compressor there to manually bring the verse up so that there was a little bit more microdynamic compression happening in the verse so that there wasn't too much compression happening in the chorus, but that would mean you still only have microdynamic effects on the signal. Basically what I'm saying is if you use a compressor so hard that it's affecting the large-scale dynamics of the piece, if the compressor is what's controlling the relative level of the verse and the chorus, the chances are it's not going to sound that great. And what tends to happen is that those larger scale dynamic balance judgments, the macrodynamic changes that I'm talking about, are much less significant than the microdynamic ones. It's not uncommon to have three or four dBs of beat by beat, note by note gain reduction happening in a compressor or even a limiter. So that crest factor, that peak to loudness aspect of the signal is getting worked on really hard. But the internal dynamics of the music, the contrast between the verse and the chorus, are maintained much more. They're not flattened out in the same way by the processing. So that's why when you look at the research, you find that over time, macrodynamics haven't reduced nearly as much as you might think, given how much the overall levels have come up during the loudness war. But what you do see is that the loudest sections of that music 
have a lot more microdynamic crush happening in them. And that's the negative sonic impact that I find most distressing about the loudness wall. So I guess really what I should call it is microdynamics. I see. Or, or something. But I mean, that definitely isn't catchy. So no, that's not going to happen. It's a mouthful. Um, and the problem is, I mean, really, the problem, you know, like I say, it's difficult difficult to measure this stuff. And even the things that we're talking about, you know, it's not definitely guaranteed that if you have something with a low peak to loudness ratio, it's going to sound terrible. Right. Um, it's just there's a much bigger chance that it's not going to sound as good as it could have if it had had more room to breathe. And that really is the message of Dynamic Range Day. I mean, it kind of, I'm, I'm passionate about this, so I start sounding a bit preachy, maybe, but... Um, I'm not saying that people can't have these limited dynamics, these limited micro dynamics in their music, if that's what they want. Um, I'm just saying they need to be aware that, well, th there are other things that we kind of publicize through dynamic range day. So, you know, the research shows there's no connection between loudness and sales. Um, so, you know, making your music loud is not going to make it sell more. There's no research to show that people, or there's research that shows that actually people don't prefer the sound of really loud, meaning really crushed dynamically music. They like loud music. They like to turn the volume up on their amp, but they don't care about what was on the CD originally. Um, as we've talked about on previous episodes, when you listen to something online these days or on a personal media player or on an MP3 player, um, the chances are the loudness will be managed, that the loud stuff will be turned down and the quiet stuff will be turned up to give you a more consistent listening experience because that's what people prefer. Providing people are aware of these issues, if they then want to go into something and smash it, you know, I'm, well, I won't say I'm happy about it, but that's their choice. Who am I to say they shouldn't do that? I just want people to to go into it with their eyes open, to go into it understanding the issues um, and uh, and for that to be a genuine choice rather than feeling they have to do it because if they don't in some way, they're going to be penalised, which you know, really isn't true. And that really is the is the the kind of the big message of Dynamic Range Day is just understand how this stuff works and, and make good choices. Right, make good choices. I, I could see how one could get passionate about this. It's almost like if you love something, and then you see it abused, it hurts. And that that applies to music too. I mean, you see what a, a song could be, and then you see somebody just abuse it by crushing it. Sometimes, it, like you said, anybody can decide what they want to do with their music, but sometimes you know in your heart it would be better if it was a little less crushed. It's like music abuse. It's funny, I'll be honest. I, I have thought of... You know, sometimes I just think, oh, just give it up, mate. <laughs> you know, <laughs> people know, stop, stop, you know, find something else to talk about. Um, because, yeah, if people want to do that to their music, they can. And, you know, it's, and then I hear something else that has, that just could have sounded so much better. Right. And I just, it just makes my teeth ache. <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> um, and so, no, yeah, you're right. It is. It's something that I hear it a lot in EDM. And it really bothers me. There's some beautiful, like, I'm not such a fan of some of these drops I'm hearing, but there's beautiful buildups in this music. The drops are a shame, but they build up beautifully, and um, even the buildups are crushed. So, Exactly. And, I mean, that that makes no sense to me, right? Because, I mean, you know, EDM is, dance music is kind of one of the most primal 
forms of i mean there's some really sophisticated stuff out there but you know in terms of the beat right you know it goes right back to african drums it goes right back to the earliest forms of music you know and it goes back to making you want to dance and the thing that makes you want to dance is the beat and the beat is the contrast between when you hit the drum and when you don't hit the drum so you want that to have enough impact but there comes a point when you're pushing the loudness up you're actually reducing the impact you're right. reducing that contrast between you know you're taking away from the rhythm from the pulse from the thing that makes the music work that exactly. makes it do what you want it to do and yeah i mean it frustrates me particularly with edm because people still use the you know they, they say oh it has to be loud in the clubs um you know so that it can stand up against everything else you know and first of all djs have you know i mean dj software has loudness uh, management software built into it right these days but also you know the, the mixers and the amps they all have gain structure just like any other piece of audio equipment and you're absolutely right if you want you know i mean the whole point of a piece of dance music that builds up and builds up and builds up is that when it gets to the drop you just want it to go insane and there are some of these tunes where it gets to the drop and it actually ends up getting quieter <laughs> because there's so much dynamic range control that comes into play um that's just holding it back and it's just crazy to me i agree i agree a lot of drops in house music are getting a lot less musical too. It's like a one note drop, boom, boom, boom. And uh, that's a shame too, but that's a, a topic for another day. <laughs> maybe I should be uh, I should be a guest on the, well, I've already been a guest on the EDMR podcast, but maybe I should be a guest and just rant about dynamics for the whole episode. Yeah. That might or be. I should start dynamic drop day. Ah, there you go. See? DDD. <laughs> oh, DDD is better than DRD. Yeah, it's it three Ds. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're onto something. Thanks. I would love it if anybody who is listening uh, would like to take part. You know, head over to the website. Like, there's a Facebook page. Um, there's a Twitter account you can follow. Like I say, we're going to be. There's a bunch of memes that I try and invent some new ones every year that we share that people enjoy. It's 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 a lot of fun. There's a really good community of people now who are interested in this issue. It, I, it sounds like a blast, man. I, I can't wait to hang out with you guys and, uh, you know, celebrate a good cause. I mean, you can't get any geekier in the audio industry than this cause, Ian. So uh, I think it's super cool. I'm glad you're doing it. I think you can get geekier. There are people who want me to do an anti-auto-tune day. Hmm. That would be interesting too. I wouldn't say he's geeky. <laughs> To be honest, but I, I think that'd be interesting. Maybe not. I mean, maybe it's more relatable for for people who are. I don't know. But this, I, I guess, this is the th one of the things that upsets me. Both of these issues, auto tune and and dynamics, because I, I've had I've ranted about auto tune as well um, in the past, and I can do it again if anybody asks me to. But what don't you like the, about auto tune? I don't like the, the blanket use of it. Uh, you know, it's it's used... I mean, okay, so Michael Buble is auto-tuned blatantly on his albums. I mean, WTF, and I'm English, and it's made me say WTF, so OMG. Um, I mean, he can sing. The guy can really sing, you know? Um, why would you auto-tune Michael Buble? I mean, they, they auto-tuned Aretha Franklin. I mean, that's insane. It's, you know, I, I get it. You... I've used it myself. You you know, you you have a fantastic take. The emotion is all there and there's a couple of notes that are not quite in tune and they distract you from the emotional message of the song. Right. So you tune those notes. Um, and if you have somebody, you know, there are people who use it as an effect. Like T-Pain mm -hmm. actually can sing, but he 
has you know uses the robot or that 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 kind of share effect auto tune on everything uh you know that's his choice that's his artistic decision fair play but it's when yeah it's when people use it on everybody everyone everything all the time and and yeah the bit that upsets me is that the younger generations think that's what music is supposed to sound like that's what singers are supposed to sound like you know it gets to the point where they hear frank sinatra who i mean come on is one of the greatest singers of all time but wasn't always perfectly in tune and they think it sounds wrong because he's not laser beam you know digitally corrected onto the grid exactly um, I, and, I, yeah. I'm actually watching the last episode, not the last episode, the last season of American Idol this year, just for, I don't know, sentimental value reasons, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't watched it in like eight years. But anyway, I'm watching this last episode and I'm noticing that the singers, the really good singers, are their runs are basically auto-tune runs um, when they do a run. it's They're, they're singing with auto-tune and they're making their voices auto-tuned. Um, and I, it goes along with exactly what you're saying. I think that they think that that's how music is. And, it, you know, it, it is now. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. There's no laws in music either. But there are a lot of the runs and a lot of what they do with their voices, were, I'm sure, were originally influ- influenced by somebody they listened to who was auto-tuned and they just did it with their voice. Yeah, they're emulating the sound of auto-tune. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you said it in like five words, what I just said in like five <laughs> minutes. Um, so yeah, and I, I see that and I hear that and it's interesting, it's cool sounding, but it's just a little odd. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, anyway, that's, that's, I'm sure we could go on both of us about that topic, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll incorporate it into later episodes and I'm not a hater. Sometimes it, it makes good music and sometimes it's, you know, it's like you said, why would Michael Blue Play do it? It's, you have something that's almost perfect and why why do you have to make it like a can like bubblegum candy cane hmm. perfect you know what i mean yeah exactly yeah and the same thing applies to dynamics you know yeah. i mean by all means if you want the sound of a piece of music that's been rammed into a limiter as hard as it possibly can be or a clipper or whatever it is absolutely fine but you know don't let's do it to everything you know ellie yeah. goulding and uh Who's the other? Taylor Swift. You know, Taylor Swift. One of the, one of the memes I have is a, is a, a graph that shows the, uh, well, it used to show the DR ratings, but I'm going to do a new one that shows the PSR ratings, the, the differences between the peak and the loudness for, uh, Taylor Swift is louder, if you measure it that way, than ACDC, than the Sex Pistols, than Public Enemy, you know? I mean, yeah. it's, and it's bubblegum pop. Yeah. It's insane. I heard her almost do a rap on one of her songs. So I'm not I'm not gonna <laughs> my boys love Taylor Swift. I'm not gonna hate on Taylor Swift. I, you know, I res- uh, I actually respect her. The more I hear about her, I mean, um on, on Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, his podcast, mm-hmm. he interviewed who was once the manager of Taylor Swift when she was starting out. And I'll tell you, man, that girl worked hard. She learned a lot and she's bright. You know what I mean? She's she I think she she deserves what she's getting and she really really worked it and learned a lot about the industry and i do respect her for that i'm the same you know i think she writes her own songs she can play she can play piano and guitar at least um maybe a bunch of other things and um an artist who i really respect imogen heap uh co-wrote a song on her latest album and she uh said 
very positive things, you know, about the day that Taylor came over and they wrote this song together. Um, and I kind of feel like if she gives her kudos, you know, that kind of backs up my instinct for it. So right, yeah, um, right. we, we may have to cut this because I mean, who knows what our audience think of Taylor Swift. <laughs> they should respect what we said. It was very tasteful. I will respect us. We are very important. <laughs> we just covered like three things in the later part of the show that we could probably do a whole episode on just on their own. The Taylor Swift edition. Bonus features, everybody. <laughs> well, it's a good thing because the mastering maxim this week is really dull. So, okay. you know, people get all of that instead of the. So the mastering maxim is experiment with dynamics. You know, always think if I'm pushing the loudness harder, why? Is it achieving what I want. Loudness match, as we talked about in previous episodes, so that you can get an objective comparison. You know, I'm not saying don't crush the music if you want to crush the music, but don't just crush it for the sake of it or because you think you need to. Um, and I mean, okay, so something we haven't touched on is there is such a thing as too dynamic. Uh, you know, I think I kind of mentioned it when we were talking about maybe compression or, or loudness in one of the previous episodes, but it's worth saying again, you can, you know, you can have a song where the verse is great and then the chorus just blasts you out of the room and it's uncomfortable or the flip side where the, the chorus feels great and then the, the verse just kind of disappears into the background and you can't hear the words. You need a certain amount dynamic control. Compression is an integral part of recorded pop rock pretty much any music i mean you know there's even and if you if you consider riding the fader you know manually balancing the the levels of different sections it even features in classical music um in terms of recording so i'm not saying you know i mean i'm not saying compressors are evil limiters are evil and that more dynamics are always better it's all about finding the perfect balance between loudness and dynamics where you know the music does what you want it to do. And that's even more important in this kind of, the, as we move to more and more places using loudness management, this normalization where the loud stuff is turned down, because in that situation, something that's more dynamic will actually stand out more. I mean, you know, because the original point of loudness was always to get stuff to stand out. Right. Um, if you're talking about on YouTube, crushing the music too much is going to have the opposite effect because it will get turned down and it will just sound wimpy in comparison to stuff that has more punch and life in it. Hmm. So I've always talked about the loudness sweet spot um, over the years. These days, it's more real than ever because there is actually a number that you can measure that gives you the sweet spot for each of the streaming platforms that are using loudness management. And that's just going to come more and more the case. Coincidentally, that sweet spot is really pretty close to what I used to recommend anyway and to what a ton of classic songs throughout music history found their way to um and it's something that dynamita helps you get right yeah i saw that in there you could, choose, you, could, you could pick like youtube and itunes right and different ones yeah and it gives you an idea of you know there's two effects of um getting that that balance right um you want to make the most use of the platforms available the kind of the loudness space that's there on whichever, you know, whatever it is, uh, Spotify or YouTube or wherever, reducing it below that won't do you any good because it'll just get turned down. But you don't want it to be too much higher than that. You know, you want to you want to make music that has that requires more loudness space than the platform it's getting played on has available. Because at that point it'll either get extra processing, which could sound bad, or it will just 
not get turned up enough to compete with everything else. So, you know, this stuff is complicated. It's um, and the the idea of Dynamedia is to try and make it easier for people. So, yeah, they should definitely people listening should definitely check it out if they're interested. I mean, obviously, I would say that because it's something that I made, but, but I, I sincerely think that going forward, loudness is going to be irrelevant. Because it's going to get changed, right? Whatever right. loudness you record your music at, it's going to get adjusted either right. by the listener or by the thing that plays it or whatever. And what you need to understand is the dynamics of the music, both the macro and the micro dynamics, um, and how those are going to affect how loud it gets played further down the chain so that you can find the sweet spot. And that's that's what it's all about. That's awesome, man. Great information. Good cause. Dynamic range day. Ian's plugins. It's just a ton of good stuff. Well, if you guys want to find out more about what we're doing here on the show, listen to past episodes, head on over to themasteringshow.com. Also sign up for our hot list there. It's our newsletter, quote unquote, where we'll basically send you when the latest shows are coming out, any new news or information we got going on. Uh, we'd love for you to sign up for that. It's definitely uh, something of value. Absolutely. And please uh, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, uh, leave us a rating and a review. Uh, it actually makes a surprisingly big difference to the the profile of the show. And the the, the more listeners we can get, the the easier it is for us to to help more people and to keep the show going for longer. So yeah, we'd really appreciate that. Absolutely, and thank you for everyone who has left reviews. Mucho appreciado. Well, I'm Steve Cherubino. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Steve Cherubino from EDMMR.com. You could uh, hear some of the other shows I do over there. And Ian? I'm Ian Shepard from productionadvice.co.uk. You can catch me on Facebook or at Ian Shepard on Twitter. And in fact, there won't be a show next week because of Dynamic Range Day. I'm going to be frantic uh, getting everything sorted out for that. So, uh, but don't worry, we will be back uh, as usual the week after. Well, that's going to be it for today. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thanks for listening. See you guys. (laughs) 